welcome to episode 597 of the Entertainment 2.0 podcast brought to you by the digitalmediazone.com. I'm Josh Pollard. And I'm Richard Gunther, and this is the show that puts you in control of your favorite movies, music, shows, and games. And I wasn't looking, I almost flubbed that one, but here we are. We got through the intro, and two weeks in a row, we're doing well. Yeah, two weeks in a row on Wednesday, but we, we say it's Tuesdays or Wednesdays. So, yeah, and and kind of a, a big week. Uh, we actually really had to cut some things from the lineup this week because there was a lot on the video side and a lot on the gaming side because Gamescom happened this week. But don't worry, it's not going to be an hour and a half of gaming news if you're not into that. But uh, plenty of good stuff here regardless, including some listener feedback from David T. He emailed us, entertainment20 at the digitalmediazone.com is that email address. And he said, during your discussion of possible replacements for Amazon's Fire TV recast on episode 596, you omitted the free option of a homemade DVR called Next PVR. Next PVR is a free DVR solution for those who already have an HD home run or other type of tuner. The two negatives are that there is no guide data with Next PVR and getting one can be quite a technical challenge, but you can pay for guide data from a third party or roll your own using the Zap2It website. Well, Richard, I think we have some fairly obvious reasons why we haven't brought up Next PVR as an alternative. <laughs> well, I, I mean, the, you know, it's funny because this is something that, that I've known about. I forgot about it, frankly, and didn't realize that it was still around. Yeah. I don't use this, obviously. And it, one of the reasons that I don't use it is that I don't feel like it evolved past the point the way Plex did. Plex, I didn't used to like using, and I didn't used to like using it for two reasons. One was the overall look and feel of it, and the other was that it was a lot of work. And this reminds me of that phase when Plex was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it 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 is a lot of work. The UI looks pretty dated and frankly having live tv guide data is a pretty big deal like that's pretty important for a dvr and if it's a giant pain in the butt to set up that's that's going to limit your user base sure so. but if you already went through all that pain mm-hmm. when these things came out and when the hd home run came out then yeah stick with it because for the DVR services that we talk about the most, like Channels DVR and uh, Plex Live TV, you need to use a subscription plan to use it. It's not something that you get for free. Right. And use it. there are paid options for guide data, uh, like, uh, like he said in his message, but... They're not too expensive. If I remember correctly, they're typically like 20 bucks a year to get that guide data. But that's not that much less than a Plex Pass subscription. I think a Plex Pass subscription is 35 a year. Does that sound right? I have not been keeping track. It has been so long since I've looked at all of that. Yep. And and I believe that um, the DVR solution from uh, HD Home Run is also 30 or 35 dollars a year so you pay a little bit more but you also get a little bit more and and with plex on on plex pass it's more than just the dvr functionality it's it's other stuff too so yeah so thank you for reminding us of next pvr david honestly it is it is a solution that i haven't thought about in years And, and like richard i was surprised that it was still around, but happy, like pleasantly surprised because it is good for there to be more options out there, especially for uh, people who like to to customize this stuff a little bit more and have more fine grained control over things. Absolutely. 
And full disclosure, the reason that we don't know off the top of our head what the cost of a Plex Pass is, is because we have subscriptions from them and from channels DVR or, or lifetime licenses rather uh, to both so that we can test out new stuff when it comes out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a good thing to point out. We probably don't mention that enough. I, I did look it up. We were close. An annual subscription to Plex Pass is is forty bucks a month or forty bucks a year. Uh, it's if you want to pay monthly, it's five bucks a month or a lifetime for a hundred twenty. That's less. I thought it was more than that for the lifetime subscription, but it's it's not. So that's good. Yep. Yeah. All right. So thank you again. Uh, for for writing in David and for anybody else, the rest of our contact information will be at the end of the show, or of course over at the website uh, www.thedigitalmediazone.com. Indeed, somewhat coincidentally, our first story is about Plex, and it's not a good news story, but there is a silver lining. To this, I think. So Plex reached out to users this morning. Plex users received an email message from the folks at Plex letting them know that they had been compromised. They had security compromise and that some data had been accessed, some user data, including email addresses, usernames, and hashed passwords. No credit card information was taken and they don't have stuff like your address and things like that. So it's limited the information that they have, but to be cautious, Plex is advising everybody to sign out, change their password and sign out of all your devices. When you go through the process of changing your password, there is an option to log out of all your devices and you should do that step as well. It's kind of a pain. They even recognize that it's a pain and they are apologetic. Um, Josh, what really struck me here, this happened yesterday and they got in touch with people today. That's amazing. That's what happens when you don't have a legal department with 10 attorneys in it downstairs. <laughs> We're assuming that, of course. But yeah, that. That is a welcome, like that. It's just not something that happens very often. Um, I didn't realize that it just happened yesterday. I I wondered when I read that email th this morning when I woke up <laughs> and saw it. I wonder how long ago this actually happened. And it, it is really nice to hear that it it just happened yesterday, and well, they they got on it right away. Yeah, let me let me clarify that. I think what they said was that we learned yesterday. So, mm. um, you know, within roughly twenty four hours of learning of this, they acted, which is great. It, you know, For it, sure, it's fantastic. So, um, I think that's the silver lining. There's a second silver lining in that uh, the other message we all got was to let us know that there's now an ALF channel on Plex TV. <laughs> Very important for some people. Absolutely. Uh, except for cat fans. But <laughs> <laughs> I I do want to hit on just just one or two quick things on, on the password reset thing. So uh, one is, yes, absolutely go go and update this. And and of course, I'm very happy that they jumped on this right away and started telling people right away, you should go in and update this. And I love the fact that they have the option when you reset your password to sign out all of your other devices. And if you're not sure why that matters, it's because if someone did get your password and logged in somewhere else, this will log them out. Like it's a pain for you that you now have to log back in on your nvidia shield and your phones and all that sort of stuff but it's a good thing to do just in case is it likely that someone already like cracked your password from from this breach probably not but you should still do it anyway the only thing that i didn't love and this is probably due to the fact that they are a smaller company and this this isn't exactly a a, a major feature for them to be working on is I logged in 
from a computer this afternoon and it didn't notify me like to f- to force me to reset my password and this is i true. wish i wish it would have done that yeah i mean that's going to take a little engineering to put in place and i would imagine they you know they did mention that they are going to put new uh, some ad- additional security procedures in place that may be one of them they may mm-hmm. need to implement a forced logout or forced password change process that they could flip a switch on whenever they need to just as a good measure. Right. Right. So we've both obviously changed our passwords at this point. Yes. (laughs) Richard, get on it. (laughs) Yes, Uh. I will. I will get on it. Uh, Interestingly, when you logged on, you connected to my server because you are connected to my server. And when you did that, I got notified that you logged on. So that's the other thing that's that's a nice reminder is that based on the notifications that you have set up, you can monitor if anybody is using a device that's unfamiliar to you already accessing your account in any way. Yeah. That is also a very nice feature. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on from that. Unless you had more things to talk about relating to the ALF channel. No, it's just very exciting for people who (laughs) care about ALF. (laughs) For sure. Okay. So the other big news this week, and this was huge news. Like I was hearing this next story reported all over the place. And that is that in July, Nielsen, who's the company known for doing uh, viewership stats in the United States, Nielsen reported that for the first time ever, streaming TV viewership surpassed cable TV viewership. And that's a pretty big deal. I yep. I think there's a few interesting takeaways here to, to this for me. For one, all I ever heard was, more people are streaming than watching regular TV. And that's not actually true because Nielsen does break this down into streaming and cable and broadcast. And broadcast would be the people using an antenna. And those broadcast numbers were a lot higher than I expected. <laughs> so, yeah. like, let's get into the numbers. So, in first place in July was streaming at 34.8%. 34.8, beating out cable that had 34.4. So it's not like it walloped cable, but it is in first, and that, that's right. the important part. Right. But broadcast is at 21.6%. That really, like, I expected it to be lower than that. Yeah, it is surprisingly high. And we just, I think, recently talked about how it didn't look like over-the-air TV is the direction that people are going. And I hear that from people all the time. They were talking about that on Core Killers this week, that, oh, well, broadcast is probably just going to exist for, I don't know, like emergency notifications and stuff like that. Over 20% of households with televisions are still getting, I mean, from the sample set. If you extrapolate this and assume that Nielsen's data is representative of U.S. households, this is a big number, and it is surprising, particularly compared to the cable number, because we've always had this belief that cable had by far overtaken broadcast, and maybe it had, but as people return to streaming, if they want their locals, their options are limited, and so over the air becomes a really good alternative. Yeah, it's a great alternative if you live close enough to the towers. So the the next questions are, well, what is it about July that that made it so that streaming finally passed cable? And, you know, we're we're linking to an article from Engadget and their their thought, and and I agree with this, is that it's probably pretty heavily uh, dependent on the fact that Cable TV is really popular largely due to sports. And in July, there's not a whole lot of sports in going on. <laughs> You've got baseball and 
racing. And I know that there are other things going on, but you know, like there's probably lacrosse or, you know, just far, far less popular sports out there too. But that's it. Like in terms of the big four, you know, there's probably MLS. I'm probably really annoying people by leaving out MLS. I imagine soccer is happening in the summer because soccer is happening all year long. But no football, no basketball, and no hockey. And that's that's a lot of viewers right there. Uh, also, when these numbers were compared to the previous year, it's also skewed dramatically in terms of sports because there were the Olympics last July. And with all of the pandemic craziness, the NBA and the NHL playoffs were still happening in July, which never happens. So I'll be curious to see when this happens again, because I don't think it's going to remain at these numbers. Right. Especially with NFL football returning and college football. Yeah. So that's a really good point. This is less likely a tipping point than a dip. Yes. And I, I think you're right. I think we are going to see these reverse again, and we'll see Cable eke out a lead for a while anyway, but we know the day's coming. For sure. For sure. Do you want to make a prediction as to like when we end up with like three straight months of streaming being higher than Cable? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I really don't, because I, I have no idea. I just can't gauge that. And I much prefer to make predictions that I know I'm right about, like Windows 8 sucking really bad. (laughs) Man, you were going to go to your grave with that one. Jeez. (laughs) Sheesh. It was almost 10 years ago, Richard. Yep. (laughs) Wow. Well, we'll see. I I very much expect these numbers to reverse uh, in August. any of you screaming at me, well, people watch NFL football on broadcast because that's where it is. Yes, that's true for a lot of people, but they still watch it on cable. And college football is huge on cable. So I definitely think football is going to reverse these numbers. And then eventually NBA comes back and NHL. And those are going to remain on cable for a long, long time. So if I had to make a prediction, I think we're probably still years away from this becoming the norm, even hmm. if Richard won't go out on a limb. Yeah, I'm, I would be fine with that. I mean, I don't have a horse in the game, right? Sure. What difference does it make to me? I'm happy streaming right now. It's less convenient, but it works for me. And if people are still happy with cable, then who cares? Absolutely. It's probably easier for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I don't I don't know if if I would necessarily say that because you've got well, you could have just one device. Like you could just be using your Chromecast with Google TV and that's it. And that's kind of easier than having a cable box and a streaming stick. Right. Yes. Okay. But you end up with lots of devices and all that stuff. So yours is more complicated than the average person. I do. I set up a TV, which I'll talk about in three devices up to it right away. (laughs) Well, speaking of your Chromecast with Google TV, that operating system underneath of that Google TV has received um, what many would probably consider a much needed update. and. That is uh, an update all about performance on these things. The Chromecast with Google TV is coming up on three years old now, I think. Mm, Sure, I'll buy that. I think it was 2019. I think it was fall of 2019. And that device, really for the last year and a half or so, at least, people have been saying, "Mm, it gets a little bogged down. Like, I like the experience, but it gets a little bogged down when you start loading up lots of apps and stuff. And Google is taking some steps to address that uh, with some some performance updates. They now say that the For You tab should load faster on startup, that switching between tabs should go faster, that the Live tab 
should load faster, that switching to the kids profile is going to take less time. All of those are good things. And in addition to that, it, it will use less RAM, which is memory, and that should help the other apps that are also trying to run. So all of that is great from a performance perspective, and they're also adding some new features to help you manage storage on these devices, which typically are not expandable. So you can run out of room for the apps that you're trying to load on these things. So now there will be an option in all Google TV devices, although the the Chromecast has had this for a little while, but a new option called free up storage that will allow you to clear the cache on apps and uninstall apps and things like that. And they're building in some automated features that will also do some work to free up space for you automatically. Do you have this update on your device yet? I don't know if I do. I want to check. This is great news. This device, as we've mentioned, and as I believe it was um, Tony, one of our uh, listeners mentioned at one point in time, has been getting really sluggish. And I use it as my daily device now. So it's been bugging me. And so I'm happy to see that this is out. I haven't really paid a whole lot of attention to this in the last day or two. So I'll go check this out. I do um I, I do also remember running out of memory at <laughs> one point in time and it telling me that I couldn't uh, or that it couldn't run certain apps because there wasn't enough memory. Wow. Which seemed ludicrous to me. And so I started unloading third party apps just to be able to use the thing and get rid of that message. So I also like the idea that there's this ability to uh, clear out or free up memory. You mentioned that's on the Chromecast, so maybe it's been there for a while and I haven't known it was not there when I was experiencing this problem. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think that's great that they're making the the experience on existing devices better. I still want a new device. I want a new device with new hardware in it that has more memory, probably some more storage space, it sounds like, and just faster processor and things like that. It it seems like we ought to be able to get that at this point in time, two or three years later. Yeah. At at the same price. Like just yeah. replace the old one with, with a new de- a device at the same price. It's funny because as I hung another TV, I looked to see, all right, well, um, what if I wanted to get Google TV there too, so that we had a consistent experience across our devices? And I went out and found that there isn't a new one. It's the same one that's been out this whole time. I, I really, now that I think about it, I think it was late 2020, because I think it was around the time that I had also bought my frame TV. But in, in any event, what I ended up uh, doing was not using a Google TV on that TV that I just hung thinking, man, it's really time they come out with something new. And then I can do that whole migration thing, you know, put the good one in the living room or or family room where we use it the most, then pass down the others to other televisions. Right. And, and you're right, by the way, I I looked it up. It, It did come out in September of 2020. I'm a year off. Yeah. But still two years old. Yeah, because it's not like it was running top-of-the-line hardware two years ago. Right. And I, I, I know they're not going to do it. I know they're not going to do it, but I would love if they got rid of the Netflix and YouTube buttons because I am always pressing them by accident because they're the same as all the other buttons. All the buttons are the same shape and size. Mm. So except for the the sources button, which I don't know why you would need, and the power button. But yeah, maybe a revision to the remote too. So you said you did just buy another one? No, I have. I did not. I didn't want to get a new one since I want them to come out with a new one. I think you should go buy one because then that'll almost guarantee that they'll announce a new one. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it normally works. Yeah, yeah. Take one for the team, Richard. Maybe you can expense it to the DMZ. <laughs> Especially if it works out in our favor. There you go. All right, well, that's it for the the video news. There's no audio news uh, to, to report on this week. We might have some next week, uh, but we do have a fair amount of gaming news to cover 
this week. The the first one, it's really more of a small update. Uh, at CES in January, one of our biggest stories was that Sony announced the PlayStation VR 2 for the PlayStation 5. And it was a pretty significant update from the original PlayStation VR. Looks awesome. Got me very excited. I don't own any VR devices, but man, does that one look nice. And we're not going to go into all of the specs and features and all of that right now because we expected when it was announced in January that it would probably come out for the holiday shopping season. And the announcement is that it's not. It, It won't release until early 2023. I would imagine that that means January or February, but we don't actually know. And uh, we still don't know a price for that thing. And it's not going to be cheap. We can be pretty certain of that. Also, the timing is kind of bad. Like they, they really needed to get this out for holiday because so many games have been delayed this year into the first quarter of 2023. So people are already planning on next winter springtime to be playing a ton of non-VR games. And if they could have gotten this out in November, then they I, I think they would have had better options. Like I, I think more people would have spent more time with it. But now people are going to have to choose between this and a lot of other really big name games that are coming out early next year. So we'll see. But that's the latest update on the PlayStation VR 2. We are going to stick with PlayStation here uh, because the uh, pr- probably the, the actual biggest announcement, especially one that's not disappointing, like uh, delaying the VR 2, is that they announced a new controller for the PS5. It's called the DualSense Edge. And the easiest way to think about this is it is the PlayStation version of the Xbox Elite controller. It is PlayStation taking an opportunity to make their own completely customizable gaming controller. And that means that it will have swappable thumbsticks that have adjustable dead zone and sensitivity options, adjustable triggers so that you can make the throw on the triggers shorter. Uh, It will have uh, paddles on the back that are also replaceable so that they can be different shapes. All of the buttons can be mapped or even deactivated on them. And maybe the the most unique new feature on the the DualSense Edge controller is that you can actually replace the entire thumbstick module on these things and they haven't said how much those uh, thumbstick modules would cost to replace but the thumbstick module is the part that you are most likely to wear out and break in a controller so having that it is going to be really nice because this isn't going to be a cheap controller. Like this will be somewhere between 150 and $200 most likely for this controller. And if you have it for seven months and you wear out one of your thumbsticks or you start getting stick drift and things like that, you're going to be real annoyed if you have to drop another 200 bucks to replace it. In which case you're probably just not going to do that. But if a thumbstick module is $30, and I'm just completely guessing here because I've never seen this on a controller before, then that's a much better option. So I I think that's great. Um, the only real disappointing part of this announcement is we don't have pricing or a release date, but at this point, I'm kind of guessing that it won't even be out before the PlayStation VR 2 because... Their announcement said, in the coming months, we'll release more details. In the coming months? So it's going to be months before we get more details? (laughs) You're just going to have to wait, Josh. Well, it doesn't matter that much to me. I don't have a PlayStation 5. But uh, PlayStation just announces things too early. You know, it's now been eight months since PlayStation VR 2 has been announced, and it will be at least a year before it actually gets released. And that's 
that's a really long time for for the gaming industry stuff. I know that we're used to seeing that in the consumer electronics industry. We joke every year at CES about the dates that they give us. You should always just double whatever the the timeline is that they announce for for new consumer products. But this is really long for gaming devices. Are they trying to like head off people finding FCC filings and stuff like that? Maybe are they just trying to get ahead of the news cycle? Uh, perhaps, uh, especially since so many details about the PlayStation VR two were leaked early. I mean, we knew so much about PlayStation VR two for months before it was actually announced at CES. So I, I think that's a possibility. Um, I think they also wanted to have a big announcement for Gamescom. Uh, Gamescom is is happening this week in Cologne, Germany. It is the European equivalent to E3. It is a massive consumer gaming show. Uh, It is, by attendance numbers, the biggest gaming show. It is bigger than E3 uh, from that perspective. And so they kind of get to own the the news cycle in in gaming news during a crowded gaming news week Mm -hmm. with this announcement, I think. But I don't know how useful that is if you can't give them money for this thing soon. Yeah, fair enough. I have one more question. What is stick drift? Stick drift. Uh, So these are analog thumbsticks. So every little bit you move them uh, is is registered by, by your game console. And a very common problem with controllers that have analog thumbsticks on them is that eventually... They get kind of worn out, and the console starts registering movement even when you're not moving the stick. Ah, okay. Which is terrible. Like, it doesn't take a whole lot of thought to realize how bad that can be uh, if your player starts moving when you don't want them to, or your aim in your game starts moving when you don't want to do things like that. So it's real annoying. Every console deals with this. Uh, not you know, no specific fanboy can try and claim that their console is superior in in this area. Xbox controllers do this, PlayStation controllers do this, and the Nintendo Switch does this. They all do it. It just eventually happens. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Great question. Great question. Okay, so we're gonna kind of stick with PlayStation here, um, but actually gonna switch to a, a third party company, and that is Turtle Beach. A few months ago, we announced that Turtle Beach was releasing a new generation of their, their uh, it's probably their second from the top tier line of headsets. And th- those were called the Stealth 700 Gen 2 Max and the Stealth 600 Gen 2 Max. Really ridiculous naming conventions here. And lots of great features, crazy battery life, like Lots of good things, and I'm not going to get into all of the specifics on the PlayStation version because they're the same. It's it is basically the same headset for PlayStation as it was for Xbox, with two very major and important differences. The thing that we loved about the the way that they implemented wireless in the Xbox version of this headset, uh, both of them, the the 600 and the 700, is that it was one of the first headsets that supported Xbox and other devices. And the the Xbox version, you can use the the USB-C dongle that plugs into your uh, to your game console, works with Xbox and PlayStation and PC and Nintendo Switch. And the weird thing is that with this PlayStation version, it only works with PlayStation and PC. And to make that even worse and even crazier for the benefit of being able to use this with fewer devices, you have to pay $20 more. What? It doesn't make any sense. It, I, I, I mean, unless Sony came in and said, no, this is how it has to be. And uh, licensing for PlayStation maybe costs more. I don't know. I I really can't come up with a reason for why this exists, uh, other than maybe hoping to prey on PlayStation fans who 
aren't going to go and compare the other options from Turtle Beach to see that, oh, I should actually just buy the Xbox version of this. So do we know that they are like technically identical? Is there a chance that this version of it has newer technology, has uh, less latency, has, I, I, I don't know, is there is there anything that should make this better than the Xbox versions? Not that I know of. And I am kind of struggling to even think of things that would be worth an additional $20. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is just still just a headset, <laughs> right? So, I mean, does it have maybe newer Bluetooth? Something? I, I don't know. That would be the one thing that that would make it great. Like if this thing supported Bluetooth audio LE or Bluetooth LE audio, okay, cool, fine, twenty dollars more. But I I don't think it does. There's there's no way that it does. So if for some reason you want this, the the Stealth six hundred is one twenty nine. The Stealth seven hundred is one ninety nine. That is the one that has Bluetooth. That is the main difference between the six hundred and the seven hundred. But don't buy them. Go and get the Xbox version instead and save yourself $20 and be able to use it on all of your devices. All right. Well, that that basically makes two shows we're putting out this week where we advise people not to buy the things that we're talking about because I did the same thing on Oman. <laughs> well, I am going to recommend that you might want to consider buying this next headset that we're going to talk about. And that is a new headset from SteelSeries. Uh, this is... Also, right near the the top of their model line, uh, so the Steel Series Nova line, there there is a absolute top of the line model in, in this in this lineup that is three hundred fifty dollars has active noise canceling and all that sort of stuff. That's not what this is. Uh, they announced a new Nova Seven wireless, a Nova Three, and a Nova One. And I realized that as I'm saying, a Nova. Three, that's making Richard think of Anova, the uh, company that makes smart home cooking devices. It's not that. It's Nova 7. Um, I kind of figured you weren't talking about (laughs) ovens and sous vide wands right now. (laughs) Right. No, wrong show. So, no, the the Nova 7, Nova 3, and Nova 1 headsets were announced this week. I'm really only going to talk about the Nova 7 wireless because it's the most interesting one. The, the the other ones are both wired headsets, and it's 2022. Who wants a wired headset at this point? So the, the Nova 7 wireless, it's doing a lot of the things that we're seeing more of the manufacturers doing, including uh, that Turtle Beach Stealth 700 Gen 2 Max, in that it has a, a wireless dongle that's using 2.4 gigahertz to connect between your console and the headset, but it also supports Bluetooth, and in this case, it does support simultaneous multi-source audio. And all that really means is you can be playing your Xbox game or whatever and have the headset paired to your phone or tablet so that maybe you're listening to music on your phone or a podcast or something like that while you're also playing the game and, and having full game and chat audio through the headset. So that that's a nice feature uh, for a lot of people. Um, and this is a a full featured wireless headset. So it's not just wireless. It does have a 3.5 millimeter audio jack on it. So you can plug it into anything that still has a headphone jack, which seems like not very many devices anymore in 2022. But if you've got one, cool, you can plug this into it. Um, uh, Airplanes. Airplanes still have headphone jacks. That's like the one place where I needed a headphone jack within the last couple of years. Um, But it has USB-C charging, including fast charging, uh, uh, in addition to the 38 hours of battery life that you're going to get out of this. It has a retractable headphone, or sorry, a microphone that comes out of it with all, you know, their fancy uh, noise cancellation technology in the microphone. I don't know how well that works compared to some other manufacturers out there. That can be a big deal. Um, But the other thing about this is that it works with everything, <laughs> like like literally everything, unlike 
uh, that PlayStation headset we talked about, PlayStation 4 and 5, Xbox, the Switch, PC, Mac, Oculus Quest 2, Android devices, uh, and USB-C iPads, because it's a USB-C dongle, but it also has a USB-C to USB-A dongle for devices that don't have USB-C. And here's the thing. So maybe you're thinking, I want a headset that I can use while I'm gaming, and I want to use the same thing on my computer for work because I'm spending hours upon hours on Zoom. If that's the case, you probably don't want that headset to look like a gamer headset. And this doesn't really. It just looks like some nice headphones that has a retractable boom microphone. I don't think these look bad. Richard, I, I, I don't know if you've taken a chance to, to look at the picture of these, but are, are these, is this a headset that you would feel comfortable wearing on Zoom with coworkers or a, a client call or something like that? It's it's funny you ask it that way um, because I've kind of gone around with coworkers about headsets on calls, and I'm adamant that you're going to wear a headset if we're <laughs> on with a client because it's harder to hear you if you're not, and um, oftentimes you know people end up with whatever they have. And sometimes it's a gaming headset. It, that never bothers me. Like I don't really have any problem with that. And with them becoming more common in gaming. And I mean, come on, you see people on TV all the time, uh, that like a sports commentator headset that is even bigger, but with the mic and everything, I think the advantage outweighs the, Hey, I look ridiculous with a headset. I don't, (laughs) I don't have any problem with it. If I had longer hair, I might hate it, but Mm. you know, I don't have much hair to worry about. (laughs) Well, so I'm, I'm very interested in this headset. It is available right now for 180 bucks. The, the Nova three and the Nova one are, are also available and, and they cost less, but but this this wireless one is the one that, that's definitely interesting. And I've been looking for a, a new headset that can be used everywhere. And this this looks like a really, really good option. So we'll keep an eye on this. And I don't know, maybe there's a review in the future. Cool. All right. That's it for the gaming news, Richard. Which means it's it for all of the news. Uh, one thing that we we like to recommend, if you want to help us out, like you didn't have to listen to any ads while while you listen to this podcast. We don't have Patreon. We're not asking for any of your money up front. The best way that you can actually help us out is to just share this podcast with friends. Let more people know about this. Uh, because while it doesn't necessarily line our pockets with money, it expands the community. And that's what's so fun about all of this. So please... Share the podcast with someone else that you think might be interested in the show. All right, Richard, let's get into what's going on in our entertainment centers. Uh, wake up from your your gaming news nap and hey, let I'm us awake. know. No, 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 I'm awake. <laughs> All right, so I have quite a lot actually because I was working on a bunch of stuff around the house over the last week, and there were some key things that I wanted to watch. So let's talk about stuff that I've done physically in my entertainment center or entertainment areas. I mentioned weeks ago that I ordered the 65-inch OLED, the upgrade of the LG that I had, and I got that set up in the family room. Now, we don't really have a TV console. That's a problem I still need to solve, something to put the TV and the soundbar on. We have... I guess I'd call it a sofa table and the arc soundbar sits on that. And there used to be enough room for the old TV to sit behind that, but there isn't for the new TV. So I had to get a little creative and I went on to Amazon and bought a floor stand for the television hmm. and mounted the TV on a floor stand floor stand at the bottom is just a big flat surface. And I slid that under said sofa table so that the effect is it 
really just kind of looks like the TV is floating above the actual table and the sound bar is in front of it, kind of hiding anything that might think that might make it look like there's a bracket there or anything. So it looks good. I'm really happy with that solution. And I'm really happy with that TV in this space. It looks really great. <laughs> it's so good. We're going to have to get, uh, you're, you're going to have to let us know, um, get, give me the, the link to that floor stand. Um, th- this is a common pro like problem, uh, with this TV. It, and th- it's just that the stand that comes with the C1 puts the bottom of the TV basically on the, the, the ground, like at the level of the, the stand that you've got it sitting on. Yeah. And if you've got a sound bar or anything else, it will block some of the TV <laughs> with the stand <laughs> right. that comes with the C1. So right. I also had to buy uh, a different way of mounting mine. And I didn't do a, a floor mounted one, but I've got a, a stand that floats it above the T the TV stand also, but it, it also sits on top of the uh, of the entertainment stand. So um, we'll we'll put links to both of those in the show notes so that people can check out a couple of different options for supporting these rather large and expensive TVs. Like you want to make sure you're getting a good one. Oh yeah. So oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, so then I had my old 55 inch TV that I could now put somewhere, and we just finished setting up. The room that my recording studio is off of upstairs, which is supposed to be a bedroom, but we're kind of using it as like a library, game room, den kind of thing upstairs. And we have all our bookcases in here and a game table and stuff like that. And I thought this would be a great place to put that TV. So I had a project. And I went online and I found the thinnest wall mount that I could find. And I ended up installing electric in the wall, which was not fun because after I cut the hole for the outlet, I realized that underneath that there was a fire block. You don't know what that is. That's a two by four that goes across between your studs (laughs) to block fire from being able to travel up between studs. This is very common in building. It's in, it's required by code in most areas, but usually it's up higher. For whatever reason, the studs that I was between had one below it. So then I had to drill through that and fish wire and everything. But that's all set. Got that all wired up. Got the TV floated there and hooked up my old Apple TV, my old Roku stick, and my old Amazon Fire TV stick, and then had about an hour and a half of updates <laughs> <laughs> on each of those. And I don't really know yet what we're going to end up settling down on. Probably not the Amazon stick because it's not 4K. It was an HD stick, an older version. So. Yeah, I mean, if this is not a primary TV, do you need all of those devices or can you really just stick to one? I don't need all those devices, but I don't have them hooked up anywhere else. To keep the experience in the living room simple and working, the only thing that I have hooked up to it is Chromecast. And I want my other devices hooked up somewhere so that I can test stuff when it comes out, so that I can talk about stuff. You don't have an Apple TV on your main TV anymore? We switched entirely to Google TV. Wow. I don't know how long that's going to last. That was because he didn't like the Apple remote. He's not all that excited about the Google remote either. But (laughs) Yeah. All right. So also last week I mentioned that the Jurassic World disc was out and that I had purchased it and expected to watch it. We did watch it. But one of the things I also did was I wanted to back it up. And so I... Went to go do that and was very frustrated to find out the Blu-ray that's included in there had some convoluted error thing going on that prevented me from being able to back up my own media that I own. And I said, yeah, all right, what the heck? I'll just try the UHD disc. I know it hasn't been working and it never worked on this particular drive, but I'll just try it. 
And lo and behold, I was able to back it up. What? Really? I don't know why. I don't know how. It just suddenly, it's working. I don't know if there are new capabilities or new drivers in newer versions of the MKS tool that I use, but it worked. So I'm very happy. And then I went back and found some other recent discs I had purchased, like Everything Everywhere All at Once and the last Spider-Man movie and uh, backed those up as well in UHD. And I'm very excited about that. And in doing so, I also found out that my Plex server was toast. Turns Uh out it hasn't been working for actually a pretty good while now. (laughs) And I just thought, oh, I need to figure out what's going on. I'll get it working. And I was messing with it and I thought I had it working for a while. And then I'm like, okay, well, I'll install the latest update. And I did that and then it didn't work again. And uh, I had a corrupt database. So I had to rebuild the database. I don't know if you've ever gone through this process, Josh. I had to do something I have never done before on my Synology. I've never done this before anyway, anywhere. I had to SSH. That's your first time using Secure Shell? I am not a command line guy. (laughs) Wow. Welcome to the early 2000s. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, everything in this analogy wisely gives you all kinds of warnings and hazards and red buttons and everything that you're potentially going to open yourself to security problems. Make sure that you have everything. And I'm like... Okay, well, I don't have a port open to this from outside, so I should be okay. But uh, anyway, went in, finally figured out how to change it, and um, yeah, got got my database rebuilt. Now it's working, and discovered another cool new feature in Plex that we didn't talk about, which is the ability to manage additions now. So either through naming of your files or in the editor itself, you now have the ability to go in and uh, identify that this is the director's cut or this is the extended edition. And it will associate those with each other in a way that it lets you, like once you've selected one of them, if you decided, oh no, that's not the one I want, it'll list the other editions of this film And this is different than, say, you have the 4K version and you have the HD version. This is actually a named edition, and it'll put it up there in a nice little flag next to the name, which is a a cool new feature. It is. It is. I I always wonder how many people have multiple editions of the same movie, but there there are probably some. The Blade Runner aficionados. Blade Runner and Close Encounters. Close Encounters. Yeah. There are three versions of that film. And I guess Star Wars. There's like 75. Oh, I don't even know how all there's of the Star yeah, Wars yeah. ones. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> anyway, all right. So, uh, what have I been actually consuming in terms of media? I uh, have been still catching up on Westworld. I have two episodes to go on that in season four. I found out something interesting HBO Max is not showing Westworld in 4K. Really? In 2022. I assumed that all of their new stuff was in 4K. Wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, that would just make sense. But nope, it's only in HD. Now, I haven't gone back to look at other seasons to see if other seasons have been different. But I don't think so now that I think of it. I, I think it's only in HD. And if you want the Ultra HD experience, well, you're going to have to buy the discs. And that's so HBO. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a couple more episodes of the Bob Newhart show season two. I am caught up with big brother. There's a new episode. There are new episodes this week that I'll be watching. And of course the big thing that so many people were watching this past week is the new game of Thrones series house of the dragon. So watch the premiere of that. And, um, that is in Dolby Vision on HBO. I guess that's worth the money. Come on. But Westworld is like their other most popular <laughs> thing that's going on right now. Right? 
Yeah, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, it turns out this is the first thing that I've watched on this new TV in Dolby Vision. So when it started, it looked like crap because, of course, by default, all the motion smoothing <laughs> and edge refinement and all that stuff was turned on because that's set up by mode. Like every every different viewing or uh, display mode has its own settings. And they turn it on and all the settings by default. And so I had to stop it. I checked all of those settings, fixed them to what they should be. I even had to go in and change the sound. And it turns out I didn't have the sound on the TV set up right to get the Atmos output that I needed. So that was now working properly. And so I restarted the thing and watched it from the beginning. So a whole <laughs> Dolby experience. And then we did watch Jurassic World, as I mentioned. Um, interestingly, I learned something that everyone should probably be aware of. If you have Apple TV, I recommend watching this. Uh, no, let me say this differently. If you have a Google TV, a Chromecast Google TV, and you go to watch this movie and you have it in your Movies Anywhere library, by default, it's going to make it available to you as, as if it's native in Google. because. It's part of your YouTube library. So if you go play it, it's going to play it for you without Dolby Atmos, even yeah. though the Dolby Atmos soundtrack is amazing in this movie. So go to another service like Amazon or like Vudu or like your Apple TV uh, service where it would also be available. Play it from there. And then you'll be able to get the Dolby Atmos. This makes no sense to me. I don't understand if the device is capable, why Google wouldn't make it available since you can obviously play it on the device. It's just, it, it's weird. Hmm. So, yeah. And then finally, audiobook wise, I finished The Second Girl by David Swinson. Really enjoyed that. I will be definitely reading more books in that series and others that he's written. And I went back to uh, Steve Jobs. We're coming up on the 11th anniversary, believe it or not, of wow. uh, losing Steve Jobs. That was in October back in 2011. And so uh, I am currently reading slash listening to Steve Jobs again. And that's it for me. So, Josh, what's going on? in your entertainment center besides NHL, because of course you played some of that. Of course, some of that. So I did play uh, a little bit more of life is strange, true colors that I talked about last week. And I think I said last week that I was not sure that I was going to finish this one. Yeah, I, I did play more. I, I'm now three. Well, what I assume is three fifths of the way through the game. I finished chapter three. They're normally five chapter games. And I mean, something major happened, and it could have massive consequences, but the the remainder of the story is just a story that I'm not caring all that much about and i i don't I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but uh at at work, we have a slack channel that's dedicated to people talking about video games, and in there recently, someone asked, "What does everybody do?" to stay on top of their gaming backlog. And someone said, I remembered that there's YouTube and that I don't have to finish games to know how it ends. I can go to YouTube. And I thought, that's brilliant. That's a really good point. It's so smart. So I haven't actually gone and done that yet with Life is Strange True Colors, but I think I'm going to because I just don't think I want to dedicate the, the time and energy to finishing it up. So that's probably what I'll do there. So I did start looking for something new to play uh, as, as a single player experience and started playing Shadowrun Hong Kong. Uh, I think it, it was either in June or July, Microsoft added the, the Shadowrun trilogy to Xbox Game Pass. And I actually own Shadowrun Hong Kong on PC. I had very briefly started it like six or seven years ago and dropped it and never came back to it. But I've always been interested in it. So I thought, let's try that. And so I've 
probably put another hour in the shadow run Hong Kong. It is a uh, turn-based strategy role-playing game that is very heavy on story and dialogue. Like if you don't like reading a lot, don't play the shadow run games because it's a lot of reading in between uh, all of the action. But so far I'm, I'm digging the story and, uh, and I'm into the, to the gameplay too. And it doesn't cost me anything because it's on game pass. Um, I haven't watched anything else. Oh no, that's not true. I can't believe I almost forgot about this. We watched Ms. Marvel. Almost the whole series. We, wow. we we watched five of the six episodes. Uh, me, my wife, and my oldest daughter, and I think we're all loving it. I'm loving it. <laughs> it's it's really good. And if I'm loving it, like they must love it because yeah. they're bigger Marvel fans than I am. Yeah. Have you watched it? I haven't. I want to watch this. I just i I don't want to add too much to what we have going. I'm trying to finish stuff before starting new stuff. Well, it's all, it's also only six episodes, so it's not going to take you long. Oh, that's but, cool. Yeah. It's really good from from so many different uh viewpoints. Like the the cinematography and stuff is gorgeous. I absolutely love the way it looks and and all the things that they did there. Uh the the story is cool. Um it, you know, it, it's a teenager who discovers that she has superpowers. That's not a spoiler. Uh, it's a Marvel movie or it's a Marvel show after all. Um, and she's different in a lot of ways, including not just that she's a teenager or that she's a girl, but she's also a girl living in New Jersey of Pakistani des- descent. And they they incorporate that a lot. And That's awesome. Yeah, and it it's done really well. There's a lot of really funny things about it as you learn more about Pakistani culture. Uh it's it's good. Um I I need to find some time for us to finish up the series because I really really like it. It's so good. And like as as we were finishing up watching the second to last episode, I guess, um I had to go and search to find out is this is this a series that's coming back or is this kind of a one-time thing and it sounds like it is going to come back for more seasons so i'm really excited about that like i don't think there's any marvel or star wars series that i'm more interested in than ms marvel it's that wow. good wow yeah you know everything that i've heard about it is glowing. Everything says that they just knocked it out of the park with this. I feel like to them, this was kind of a big experiment and they wanted to see how it went. I mean, it only had an order of six shows. Right. That's that's really short, even for these special stories that they're uh, putting together in the Marvel Universe. So I, I'm hopeful that it will come back and I do absolutely want to watch it soon. Nice. You, you absolutely should. Okay. Uh, and then books. I do have a couple of audiobooks that I've been reading also. I started Damascus Station by David McCloskey. It is a spy thriller uh, that takes place in, surprise, Syria. Uh, uh, it's been good so far. I'm only a quarter of the way through it, but I'm liking it so far. Um, I also plowed through a very short nonfiction book over the weekend um, that is called The Post-Quarantine Church and talking about things that churches are having to deal with post-quarantine. I like, I I really like the title, like that they don't call it the post-pandemic church since we're not really post-pandemic yet. Right, right. Definitely post-quarantine, at least here in the United States. So uh, a lot of like, if that's, if you're into church leadership, like it's a definitely a book worth checking out, but I also recognize that that's a fairly small niche. So um, that's that's it for me. So that's it for all of our news and all of that stuff. Um, but you have an announcement to make that's related to something we just talked about. It is. Folks may remember that I was part of a show called Let's Talk About Thrones with Anthony Lemos and Jenny Josephson, and 
we decided to get the band back together, so to speak, for this new series. So let's talk about Thrones is back, House of the Dragon edition, same place it was before. And we just recorded our first episode last night. We will be releasing episodes, I believe, on Thursday or Friday following each episode. We're also going to try to do some watch parties, which, as I'm sure you're well aware, I'm going to just love. (laughs) And the chat for those is going to be in Discord, which I love even more. (laughs) But I'm going to give it the good old try. I think we're going to be doing those on Monday nights immediately following the episode itself. So uh, the show comes out on Saturday, on Sunday. We'll do our more rewatch parties than watch parties on Monday and then record the show after that. So check that out if you're interested. Cool. Congratulations. Yeah. I'm excited about it. But when did let's talk about Thrones end? Well, we aligned with the finale. Oh, okay. After they had the uh, just horrific finale of Let's Talk About (laughs) Thrones, we did an episode about that. And then we also did a follow-on episode about the – they had a kind of behind-the-scenes hour-long special about that season that maybe wasn't their intent, but very clearly explained why it was as bad as it was uh, the last season. So, uh, yeah. It's been a couple of years. Yeah, cool. Well, congrats on that. Well, that's going to do it for us. If you want to get a hold of us, there's a lot of ways you can do that. We're on Twitter at Richard Gunther, at Josh Pollard, at DigiMediaZone. Uh, we've also got all the rest of our contact information up on the website at www.thedigitalmediazone.com, along with all of the show notes for the show. And we'll make sure, again, to get those. Uh, TV stands that we're using for our Logitech, our Logitech. It's not a Logitech. Our Logitech um, TVs. Yeah. They gave up on remotes. They decided they'd try TVs instead. If they do that, don't, maybe don't be an early investor in that. <laughs> <laughs> our LG C1s. That's what I meant to say. Uh, we'll have all of that up there. And while you're checking out the show notes, you can also check out Richard's uh, what is this like fourth podcast for you? I guess at this point, uh, oh, home on. Yeah. Well, this is, this is the second one, right? Home on. So home on the episode with, uh, my buddy Kent planning for his new home is coming out this week and I'm very excited to get that out to folks. So I think it's a good talk. Cool. And then come back and join us as we record this show live. It is not a a live watching of a TV show because Richard would hate that. It also doesn't use Discord because Richard would hate that too. Instead, we just use Twitch. (laughs) And you can get to that on the website, thedigitalmediazone.com slash live, or just go straight over to our Twitch channel. You can subscribe there to get notified uh, when we have gone live or follow us on Twitter. And we always tweet when the show will be live, which is typically Tuesdays or Wednesdays around 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. That's going to do it for episode 597. He's Richard Gunther, and I'm Josh Pollard. Thanks for listening to Entertainment 2.0. Adios. Goodbye.